You're listening to the Bev Moore Show, broadcasting on the iHeart Network worldwide. I would like to welcome my guest, Celia Reichberg. The early 20th century was unforgiving on many women. Writer Celia Reichberg's grandmother was one such woman who had more than her fair share of a hard life. Rocker has written a powerful, insightful novel, Augusta, based on the exploits and overwhelming challenges her grandmother faced during the Depression. Welcome to the show, Celia. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. We're very glad to have you. Celia, Augusta is an insight to another era and a testimony to a woman who became more resilient as she was challenged. Please tell us more about why your grandmother inspired the writing of Augusta. Um, I, I grew up with a, around a woman who taught me to appreciate a walk in the woods and took me out on the lake to teach me not to be afraid of of moon calls, and I had no idea that her life had been so difficult. And as I became older, the more I learned about how difficult her life had been, the more I wanted to know, because her life seemed just so simple and and wonderful, and um, wonderfully simple. And um, so as I found out more and discovered that she was married off to the widowed father of one of her classmates when she was 13 years old... And the image on the cover of the book is from a daguerreotype that my aunt gave me. And when she gave it to me, she said, this was taken on your grandmother's wedding day. She was 13, and she's wearing her eighth-grade graduation dress. And I looked at the picture and thought, oh, thought of myself in eighth grade, thought, oh, how did this even happen? So, um... At 13. uh, at 13, yes, and and then it didn't get less complicated. It it got worse. Um, I her first husband took her to Detroit uh, when I when he lost his farm, and he went to Detroit for work. And the difference between her life in Arkansas and her life in Detroit, I, the research I did, the difference would have been gargantuan, and. Um, and so that added to the fact that she's she has children and um, she's pregnant at the time that she comes. My mother did tell me that my grandmother came to Detroit wearing a feed sack for a dress. That's how poor they were. Mm-hmm. So, um, and doing the research about what farm life was like uh, was interesting at the at the late eighteen early nineteen hundreds. So I was able to tell, show the reader what life was like for her to go to school and the fact that very few people went beyond eighth grade at that time and, um, and how, how difficult life on the farm had been. And then when I looked at what life was like for poor people in Detroit in the, in the late eight, 1919, 1920s, it was, mm-hmm. um, it was not easy. There weren't very many tenements in Detroit, but 
Uh, there were some. Many of the people lived in shacks along the river. Uh, I did put her in a tenement, um, and I put her, the friend that they came up with in one of the shacks along the river so I could tell the reader that both of those things uh, were common when, with the poor people coming north to work. Unbelievable. Well, my first thing, you know, that came to my mind was 13. Okay, we're looking at the age of 13. How do parents urge their daughter to marry at the tender age of 13? And, and to a man who's old enough not, to be her father. Well, that's my question. If that's not enough, you know, come on. You're marrying someone older than your than your father. How in the world do parents do that? And what is, what is the reason behind it? I put off writing that scene for a long time because I wasn't sure how I was going to do it and how a parent could do that to their child. But the more research I did, the, the more I realized there were very few choices then for the poor, especially, and for women, mm-hmm. especially, who were mm-hmm. poor. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that the man they married her off to owned a farm and was a hard worker was a, a plus to them, I would think. And um, when I finally did write it, it, it did flow. I was able to, to make her mother sound not horrible, but um, the fact that she had very few choices in her life and was explaining to her daughter that she wasn't going to have a lot of choices. And one of the things I have her mother tell her on several occasions is, you rarely, you're rarely going to get what you want in life. You need to learn to want what you get. So <clears throat> that was one of the things that, that I put in there for her mother that because that's what the way it was so much more difficult than it is now. And a lot and, of it um, just was just poverty, right? A lot of it was just bad. A lot of it was the poverty, yes. Right. You're listening to the Bev Moore Show, and we'll be right back after the break. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion smoky Sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste, and you're in love. Christmas 
every day that I'm with you. Look at the lights, twinkling bright, 24/7. Every inch of Central Park is covered in white. This could be heaven, and I don't wanna miss a single thing. Don't wanna put an end to all this shit. But as long as you're with me, it's always the time of the year. You make everyday feel like it's Christmas. Christmas, never wanna stop feeling like the first thing on your wish list. she had much of a choice here. This was a man who <clears throat> had something to offer, had a home and a farm. And right. Yeah, when he lost that farm, um, he became an abusive drunk. That mm. was not, yes. Uh, and my mother did mention once that my grandmother had married two men, completely different men, um, who were both turned out to be abusive drunks. Uh, and I had both of them. Both of them, I think, began not began being regular, hardworking men, and um, and when things went wrong, that's where they went to the bottle. When they when he lost his farm, when her second husband lost his job, um, there weren't there weren't a lot of choices for either of them. So they Simon moved north and into a factory job that he didn't want, and Otis. Um, just became drunk and ultimately disappeared. Her second husband disappeared. My father looked for his father as a young adult, and my brothers looked for their grandfather when they were young adults, and they could find no evidence of him beyond Detroit. Nobody knows what happened to him. (laughs) People could disappear. 
You know, it's it's amazing because I hear that story a lot during that generation that alcoholism was the root of a lot of the problems during that generation. Not that we don't have it today, but back then it was really a problem. And it's back to the lack of choices, the lack of job opportunities. I mean, especially uh during the Depression. Uh, Depression. Everybody was losing Mm -hmm. everything. Right. Exactly. It's it's so sad. Your grandmother went through... uh, some really, really bad situations. So she was married at 13, went through the situation with an alcoholic husband, but then she had she went through a second marriage. Tell me about that when she started the second that, marriage. Um, I have very little information about that, um, that um, that was my father's father. I assume he was blind, blue-eyed, and good-looking because that's what my father looked like. <laughs> and um, and uh, I have yeah, I, in the book, she, she, she doesn't remarry quickly. She, she has decided she's not going to remarry. And then she falls for this guy who's, like I said, blind, blue-eyed, and good-looking, and he's nice. And so, um, and she does question whether she should enter into another relationship, especially the first time she sees him drink at a party, she thinks, oh, he might be a drinker, but he does, he's happy when he drinks and he doesn't drink too much. And am I ever going to find someone who does, who doesn't drink at all? So, um, he took her chance with that and it didn't work out well. Everything was fine until he, he lost his job. So there we go um, again. Yeah. And here we go again. He turned into the same person. So, um, yeah, her life, I, I was told it, it's a writer's story that you're supposed to take your protagonist and chase them up a tree and then throw rocks at them. And I didn't have to make up any of this of these tragedies to uh, let the reader know how difficult her life was. Um, and the woman I knew, the woman I... I uh, knew as a child, didn't I had no idea. She was not angry. She didn't talk about this. I never saw a picture of either of her of her husbands, and I heard very little reference to her first husband at all. And the second, I think I knew more about him because that was my grandfather. Mm-hmm. But she, they just didn't talk about it. It was. She lived in a house near a lake and taught me to appreciate walking in the woods and taught me not to be afraid of loons and taught me how to catch snakes when she found out I was afraid of them. <laughs> snakes? Come yeah. on now. You caught snakes. When she found out I was afraid of snakes. Yeah, that shows up in my first book, Walking Home. Augusta does appear there. When I'm, wow. when I'm in the woods walking for days on end, I get to the top of Mount Baker, and there are snakes sunning themselves. And I think about my grandmother teaching me how beautiful they were, how soft they were, and teaching me to to have some regard for these animals that most people are afraid of. And so, um, yeah, she she was a very different kind of grandmother. She didn't make uh, 
I don't remember. She could cook. She was a very good cook. But I don't remember her making muffins and things like that. But I do remember her taking me out on the lake when she found out I was afraid of the loon calls, taking me out at sunset to to see what the birds were like and the, what animals were making that noise. So, yeah, she wanted to make sure I wasn't afraid. So why were they making those calls? That's just the sound they make, and it sounds so eerie. It's a very odd. I know. It's a very odd sound, and that's just their 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 call. It's the way they communicate with one another. And when she found out I was afraid of it, she put me in the boat and took me out to show me what they were. Unbelievable. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back after the break. When Subway opened, they changed the fast food game. But sometimes you got to refresh to be fresh. Welcome to the Eat Fresh Refresh, where there's so much new, some say you can't fit in one ad. I say, we're talking a new all-American club, deli-style oven-roasted turkey, and... Oh, that's a new steak and cheese. Oh, yeah, I knew that. That's the one with the new seasoning. And that was the new MVP Parmesan vinaigrette. Right, which makes the next level foot... Hold up, subway logo? Wait, I'm I out can't of time. hide myself. I don't expect you to understand. I just hope I can explain what it's like to be a man. It's a lonely road, and they don't care about what you know. It's not about how you feel, but what you provide inside that home. Being a man is what you make it. You can't always live up to expectations You try to please everybody while you struggle so you fake it And end up out of balance, compromising situations As a good man, uh, do what he should, man I'll give everything he has and do everything he could, man You might find yourself feeling all alone Inside a house you built that you don't recognize as home and that's what my daddy told me And I'll tell my son the same Now that I'm older I relate And I actually feel his pain He never cried, he might have lied But he did not complain And he said, son, one day you'll have to do the same I get emotional when I stop and think And I look around Beyond the county lines of my small town I think about all the men out there Who feel like I do now Who are screaming on the inside But won't ever make I a sound I don't expect you to understand I just hope I can explain What it's like to be a man It's a lonely road And they don't care about what you know It's not about how you feel But what you provide inside that home Don't give up, keep fighting as a man, our son is our horizon And our father's actions play a role And we end up like them So they can't let us see them hurt Cause we'll embody what they do And start a generational curse No wonder most men are so depressed All the things that they can't express They go to war, get thrown on the shelf Then go back to war with their mental health Then grab that bottle and ask for help Try to pull themselves out of hell Then fall back down and then realize That they're gonna have to do with themselves It's the circle of life as a man they don't know what you're worth till the day that you die and that's when they start crying Ooh. then move on to a man to confide in Ooh. that's why we feel we can't 
Welcome back. So really, she taught you nature, the true yes. life of nature. Yeah. Yeah, she, she, she did um, encourage me. She took me for walks in the woods. I was with her the first time I saw a walking stick bug. It actually looked like a collection of sticks walking along a branch, and I never would have seen it if she hadn't pointed it out to me. And she said, that's a walking stick bug. And I said, no, that's a stick. And she put her finger near it, and it started to walk away. And, and I thought, oh, my goodness, it's amazing. I've never seen that. Oh, look it up on the Internet. They're amazing. It does look like a collection of sticks walking. You've taught me something new, girl. <laughs> I've never, I have never witnessed that in my life. I've seen a couple of them. I've only seen it a few times since then, but the first one was with her, and she pointed it out to me, and I said, no, no, that's a stick. And she moved her hand toward it and walked away, and I thought, oh, my goodness, that's just amazing. I can't wait to look it up. I'm (laughs) going nature walking. (laughs) (laughs) That's my next adventure. I'm going nature walking because of you, Celia. No. Yeah, my first book was a memoir about hiking. Uh, Walking Home was about hiking Vermont's Long Trail. I walked from Massachusetts to Maine along the crest of the Green Mountains and thought of my grandmother often. She does show up in that book. I did write a book about that, and she does show up there. So, um, And partly because when I heard a loon call, I'd think of her, or when I saw snakes, I'd think of her, and other things that happened along the trail when it would remind me of my grandmother. So, oh, wow. She she had a big effect on me, although she died when I was barely six. But you remember so much. I remember her taking me out on the dock to feed the ducks and the swans and her telling me, and I, I asked her, why do you do it early in the morning like this? It's barely light out. And she said, because other children don't understand the way you do that baby ducks can drown, and if we brought them too close to the shore when those younger children, those other children are out, they might they might chase the, the baby ducks until they drown, and, you know, I just learned that a few minutes ago. She acted like I already knew it, but... Uh, she, knew, she knew your calling, you know that, right? Yeah, perhaps, yes. Yeah, my, and look at you today, and look at what you're doing. She knew your calling. I don't know. My father said when I was, the first time she saw me, she put her finger out and I grabbed, you know, the finger the way babies do. And she said, this one's strong. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't know what that is, but she and I, I felt like she had lots of grandchildren, so I maybe she made them all feel special, but I felt special to her. So, and it may have been that we, she did that for all of, would have done that for all of us. So, well, you made something out of it, which is remarkable. And you have built a legacy. Yeah. Well, there there were times when I was writing, I thought when I started that I would write it in the omniscient third person and tell the reader what she thought and then tell her what her children thought or her coworkers thought. And when I sat down to write, I found myself writing from her perspective. And um, it just held. I I couldn't stop doing that. And there were times when I felt like she was sitting in the corner while I was working. And I'd sit down to write one thing, and something else would come out altogether. And that's not uncommon for me, but um, I didn't feel like my mind was wandering. I felt as if I were being directed. I felt as if I were channeling my grandmother several times. Wow. Kind of gave me goosebumps. (laughs) I bet so. (laughs) Like an awakening, you know. Unbelievable. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back after the break. The season's open for possibilities. And this spring, the outdoors are in. It's time to see the outside not for what it is, but for all it can be. To go somewhere new, you don't have to log miles. Just open your mind. The place you want to go might be just outside your door. Lowe's. Home to any budget. Home to any possibility. There's dashing and dancing and prancing and fixing. Coming and keeping and genre and blitzing.
Exactly. Yeah. Why was Augusta haunted by a decision that she had to make due to uh, poverty? Well, the, uh, the, she was haunted by having to give up for that daughter for adoption. I, I can only really imagine how that would have felt. That um, I wondered if that was the reason. I mean, I yeah, you know, there was that question out there, and I was like, it had to be the daughter. That she yes, gave that up. was that was the haunting that, that she she didn't know. One of the scenes I wrote, she's it's a Christmas, the first Christmas without. Lottie, she called her Lottie, and um, and she wondered how Lottie's what Lottie's Christmas was like. She knew her children's Christmas, the three children that she still had, that their Christmas was better than it had ever been. But she kept thinking about what it was like for Lottie and the fact that Lottie wasn't here. <laughs> so, yeah, it it I'm sure she felt it often. Mm. Yeah. And poverty, that was the depth of it, you know? Yes. It really was. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back after the break. Have a Sprite. And cheer for Sonia.
and welcome back. Well, going back to the struggles that women face during the early part of the 20th century, let's talk about more about that subject. Okay. Well, I, I'm sure that her choice of jobs, partly due to the fact that she had very little education, uh, her choice of jobs would have been to be somebody's housekeeper or a um, or a waitress, which is what she turned out to be. Um, and I do know that I did hear stories about the fact that her the restaurant she worked at was near a police station. So I kind of enjoyed writing about the interaction between she and some of her regulars who were on the police force. Um, so I, I did enjoy that. And, um, and I know when her, um, when her young son was run over by a truck when he was seven, how would that sit? You know, ooh. And um, what kind of, you know, she worried about what bills that would entail and, and how that would affect him. Uh, so, and it's, it's interesting. It, this was easier to write as fiction because there were so many conflicting stories. Between my siblings and I, I heard that my father had been run over by a garbage truck playing in a cardboard box in, while he was playing in a cardboard box in the alley. My brother heard it was a Wonder Bread truck. And my sister said, no, he was hit by a trolley car. A trolley car? Yeah. Trolley. Yeah, that's oh what she said. She'd heard. So, you know, that made it a little easier to just tell the stories that I remember hearing. And, um, and a lot of it I had to create. I didn't know. I was told she was married off at 13 to the father of one of her classmates. I didn't know who that was. I created that person. Um, Clara Cookie, and I made that her best friend so that I could tell the reader what farm life was like and what school, uh, what their school life was like. And, um, and then my mother told me that it was a Polish woman who helped um, my grandmother uh, get through her first, the breakup of her first marriage. And so I created Agatha, and I don't know who this uh, Polish woman was. But I created uh, that character, and mm-hmm. you know her her the people she worked with, her boss Mel, and her fellow waitress Jane. These are fictional characters that helped me tell what her life was like. Wow! And um, so that you have you have a time, great imagination, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that can get me in trouble. Uh, yeah. But uh, you've done good. Yeah, it was, you've done good. Yeah, to try to create, once I started writing from her perspective, it, it, it worked so much better. And it left me at a loss sometimes when I wanted to tell the reader what Thelma thought or what Ivan thought of what was going on. I'd have to either have her overhear them talking or have them say it to her. I couldn't tell the reader that Thelma was upset about this or Yvonne didn't like that. Um, I had to I had to tell the story from uh, Augusta's point of view. And it, I didn't find it too limiting. I, I, every once in a while I'd find myself going, and Thelma thought, no, no, Thelma can't think that unless, unless, Unless Augusta overhears her or um, she tells her, I can't tell that part of the story. 
So I had to I had to get a little creative that way. Wow. Unbelievable. Because I do know that, that Ivan my aunt Ivan told me that uh, she was quite upset with her mother for picking mm-hmm. to for choosing the, the girls were taken out of the home at one point and one of the girls ended up on the farm in Arkansas and Ivan ended up in an orphanage in Columbus. And she was angry for quite a while about that. So I do tell that part of the story, too, that she was angry that her mother had chosen him over them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I assume her mother chose him over them because if she hadn't, she would have lost Buddy, too. I mean, she, yeah. she would have lost them all because he was the one who... Had, who brought in the food, and at that time she wasn't working. She didn't know, so it it was very complicated by by the lack of funds, poverty, and it was it, all it was funds. Yeah, poverty was yeah. The, the the big factor here, and it was also fun to do these research and find out the difference between her life in Arkansas and in Detroit when um, there were things like washing machines and indoor plumbing was <clears throat> something she hadn't, she hadn't had in her home in, in Arkansas. And, uh, right. and to become a waitress when she had never really eaten in a restaurant before. So she didn't really know much about the job from either side. <clears throat> yeah. It's amazing. It's just an amazing story. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back after the break. Jake from State Farm. I really want that personal price plan, so I'll admit it. I'm a bath bomb guy. Dude, you do not need to get that personal. The State Farm personal price plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you. For real? Who's ready for their jazz bath? No. (laughs) Who is that guy? Jazz Call or click to get a quote today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows A turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow We'll find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy 
to see a reindeer really know how to fly and so I'm offering this simple phrase to kids from one to ninety two although it's been said many times many ways Merry Christmas to Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to And welcome back. Well, I want to ask you one last question. Um, and I want you to speak from your heart. Why was your grandmother, Augusta, your heroine? I think it was her strength and her lack of, I never heard her complain. I never heard her say, oh, my life has been hard. No, I was a young, very young child, but I would have heard those. I had aunts who I knew were, um, complained a lot about how difficult their lives had been, and it was nothing as difficult as hers had been. <clears throat> so I think I think it's her strength. And the fact that she went out of her way to make sure I wasn't afraid of snakes and loon calls. And um, that's part of it, that that she taught me to appreciate nature. And I and I yeah. still love to walk in the woods. So <laughs> she she taught you a better side of yourself, right? Right. And and I remember people talking about her after she passed away and saying, you know, she was strong. And, yeah, and someone else said she was kind. And you know, she was strong and kind. And I thought, I was very young. And then years later when somebody said, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? You know, some esoteric conversation with friends. And I thought, I'd like them to say that she's strong and kind. <laughs> yeah. Because I'd like to be like her. You want to be like her. Yeah. That's the greatest compliment of all. You know, you know when you pass away, uh, what would you want people to say about you? I want to be like her. Yeah, I think she was strong and kind. <clears throat> greatest compliment. The greatest of all. And, and you know... Um, Go ahead. Well, and, you know, my my mother obviously was a, a wonderful person, too, but my mother adored her. And so that's Aww. part of it, too, that she um, that she and my mother were so close. 
That's wonderful. Well, you know, I, hands down, this is a wonderful book that you have written and the other three. So I'm going to let you close out and tell the audience about, I think you have three books. Is that correct? I have two out now, a third coming next year. Okay, so if you want to tell us about that and tell us how we can find those books, that would be okay, great. Okay, well, they can go to my website at celiariker.com. It's C-E-L-I-A-R-Y-K-E-R.com. That's a different spelling of Riker than most. And mm-hmm. there you'll be able to read excerpts from Augusta. This is my current novel. And from Walking Home which is my memoir about hiking the long trail. And then Big Guy's going to be coming out. That is a children's book, a middle-grade children's book. I'm all over the map in genre. Um, <laughs> and it, like Black Beauty, this story is told by the horse. And he is a marvelously handsome and talented show horse who ends up at the, toward the end of his career he can't perform at the big horse shows anymore, and he becomes a school horse. He used to give riding lessons to children, and he considers it a giant step down. And <clears throat> he has to learn how to, how to deal with that fact and also the fact that as a show horse, he was never turned out with another horse. And his social skills are quite poor mm-hmm. because now he's in a herd with these school horses, and so it's, it helps me teach children about how to handle the fact when you say the wrong thing. And he said the wrong thing a lot and how he <laughs> dealt with that and, and then got along with the horses again. So, and that goes back um, to the fact that in my first career, I trained horses and taught horseback riding. So, um, so I'm writing about horses I know. Um, some of my students, have, have, when they heard I was writing the book, said, oh, is Kaiser in there? I said, oh, yeah, Kaiser's there. Is Star Shadow there? Oh, she, 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 she's there for sure. So they asked me about specific horses. And uh, and so I had to, my sister and I used to sit on the fence and look at the horses and wonder, you know, if Shorty could talk, what do you think she'd say? What do you think she'd sound like? So then that's what inspired this book was to, us imagining what they would, what their personalities would be like if they were people. Oh. And they had very real personalities. But if you go to my website, com, you can read excerpts from both of my, my existing books, and there's going to be some information coming out about the next one. Uh, I do have an illustrator who's doing fabulous images for my next book, so I'm very excited about that. Wonderful. Well, you know what? I knew that you were special when we first talked, and now I know for a fact because horses are my favorite animal. Oh, and I was raised. I was, yeah, I was raised up with horses. Um, I was bareback on a horse at the age of five. I know all about. I mean, I know horses, so. I, I cannot wait to dive in. Well, thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's what I that's what I did for a living for quite a while, and uh, and awesome. I do love working with the animals and the people. They were just a joy. Wonderful. 
Well, I can't wait. And, you know, Celia, you have been a fabulous guest. All of this has been so insightful and just great information for all of our listeners. And we just want to thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our heart uh, for being a great guest on the Bevmore Show. Well, thank you. It's been fun to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we do wish you continued success with everything else that you do from here, from this day forward. Well, thank you. I'm Bev Moore. And we'll be right back after the break. You know that big bargain detergent jug is 85% water, right? 85% water? I thought I was getting a better deal because it's so big. If you want a better clean, Tide Pods are only 12% water. The rest is pure, concentrated cleaning ingredients. Ooh, pass me the intercom thing. Attention shoppers. If you want a real deal, try Tide Pods. Don't pay for water. Pay for clean. If it's got to be clean, it's got to be Tide Pods. Water content based on the leading bargain liquid detergent. I was lost. You found a way to bring me back. Needed forgiveness. You always gave me that. Girl, I'm a witness of your looks. You don't be giving up. And it's crazy how you saved me. Hand on the Bible, don't know how I got you, but I couldn't ask for more. Girl, what we got's worth thanking God for. So thank God I get to wake up by your side. And thank God your hand fits perfectly in mine. And thank God you love me when you didn't have to, but you did. And you do, and he knew Thank God for giving me you Thank God, thank God For giving me you Never thought I'd find an angel undercover Made a change of everything From my heart to my last name Hey, hard to tell when he fell That boy was heaven sent And every night To wake up by your side Thank God Your hand fits perfectly in mine And thank God You love me when you didn't have to But you did And you do And he knew Thank God for giving me Girl, what we got's worth thanking God for So thank God I get to wake up by your side Thank God your hand fits perfectly in mine And thank God you love me when you didn't have to But you did, and you do And he knew, thank God for giving me Thanks 
tuning in to the Bev Moore Show. I hope you've enjoyed this program and will tune in for many more. Until next time, take care.